Hi everyone. There were some great quotes in that video, weren't there? And I don't know about you, but I've really gravitated towards passages of scripture like that throughout this pandemic because I have craved reminders of God's light in our world. And absolutely, God is light. And as we saw in that video, you know, he wraps himself in it. He brings it to us and to the world. And as a church, that is a good word for us to be able to share with those around us. He brings light into dark places. In fact, just little shameless plug for this week here. If you follow us on social media, you may have noticed that we've begun posting one or two little short videos each week. And the whole purpose of these is for you to be able to hit that share button and share the light of Jesus with your friends, your family, your followers. So I encourage you to watch out for those this week and in the weeks ahead. Real simple way just to hit that share button and communicate a little bit about why we love being a community centered around Jesus so much, especially in these times. But in our passage here in 1 John, the author is coming at the idea of light from a really different angle, and it's wrapped up around another word that we see in the passage and in the whole book of 1 John a lot, and that's the word fellowship. So here's verse 7 once more. If we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. Well, before we get too far into what that means, let's have a look at why the author was writing about light and about fellowship in the first place. See, I'm a real firm believer in the idea that we discover a lot about scripture when we can understand what its authors, its human authors, were intending to say to their readers in their time. And in this case, the audience is a first century Christian church, possibly in the city of Ephesus. And like a lot of the letters we find in the New Testament, this one is being written to address a particular concern of a particular church. The general setting here and why John talks so much about light is that the world outside the church was quite dark and that the culture around the church was used to thinking about God or gods in terms of light. So it's just, it's kind of a natural way for John to make his case about how God goes about bringing light to the world. And John's doing this in an effort to address a good bit of infighting that's going on in this church, because they were trying to figure out how to live out the radicalness of the gospel and being Jesus' people when there was no template for them for how to be Jesus' people. You know, they were unsure about exactly what the real nature of Jesus was. There'd never been anything like Christ before. But, if you can imagine this, there was no shortage of opinions among them. And by all indications, this debate seems to have become very heated. And John is writing to try and cool things off by reminding them of God's light and of fellowship. Well, what does any of that have to do with us? What does this have to do with this family, this fellowship of Jesus' people that we call New Life Church? 
you know, certainly we're not running around being really nasty to one another, and I'm not needing to pull a John maneuver here and come to your screens today and say, knock it off and be nice to one another. We don't have to do that. You're not like that. But there's a universal human quality to their struggle that is not super unlike the culture we find ourselves in today. So first of all, this early church is navigating something that I just like to call an impossible storm, trying to figure out how to be Jesus people without the benefit of 2,000 plus years of theology and church tradition to draw from like we have. They didn't even have scripture collected up the way that we do in our Bible. So you can imagine there's not much guideposts to go by here. And when someone would try and interpret the radicalness of Jesus' identity and of living out the Jesus way, it was really easy to get into these kinds of debates, you know, while they waited for one of these letters to arrive to shed some light on the matter for them. Now, for us, I think our impossible storm, and I know our impossible storm, is of a very different kind. You know, we've been trying to figure out how to be Jesus people during a pandemic. There was no rule book for us, no guideposts, no set of traditions that said, this is how to be the Church of Christ in a global health crisis. Oh, I wish we'd have had that book. (laughs) You know, we've gotten some of it right, and we've gotten some of it wrong. Secondly, This church was living in a culture that had a whole pantheon of small g gods that all vied for their attention. And one of the things that John seems to be addressing with them here is that at least some of them were trying to add Jesus to the list of those gods. They were making Jesus an influence in their fellowship rather than making him the influence. And for us, I think it's worth asking ourselves to what extent we might do this, whether we mean to or whether we know we're doing it or not. Is Jesus an element in our lives and in our fellowship, or is he the element in our lives and the element that we center our fellowship around? Thirdly, the church that John's writing to lives in a culture that had a very dualistic mindset. Their thinking about the world was divided along such lines as, you know, what was light and what was dark. So here's another reason John's bringing light into the picture. You know, what was material and what was spiritual? Trying to grapple with how radical the gospel of Jesus was in turning that thinking upside down it fueled lots of conflict in the early church. In our context, I recognize a lot of our social status in this point. You, know, you don't have to look too hard to see how polarized our public discourse is on just about everything right now. You know, everything seems to be either 100% right or 100% wrong. 
And collectively, it feels like our society seems to have forgotten all about the gray areas in which we can have lots of great discourse to show grace and to learn from one another. Now, please don't think I'm trying to be a downer here. And before I say anything else, I want to commend and thank all of you. You know, thank you for bearing with us as a church leadership as we've been navigating this pandemic without a rule book. And thank you for being the kind of community where we can and where we do have strongly different viewpoints on lots of things, but where we can also journey together respectfully and lovingly. You know, you're doing that. So thank you. I say all of this so that we can see the similarities between the culture that John was writing to and our own. Some of these struggles just seem to be timeless. So I think that makes what John has to say about light and fellowship timeless as well. So let's talk first about this word fellowship. Verse 3 makes it very clear that a primary purpose of John's letter is fellowship. So this is verse 3 again. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. Well, the word fellowship translated here is koinonia. And roughly speaking, it means to have something in common. One of my really big personal concerns for our culture as a whole is that we're not being schooled in what we share in common with others anymore. We're being schooled in what separates us, what makes us different. Our culture speaks loudly in the language of polarity right now. And the good news is that we don't have to speak that language, the church, this collection of Jesus people, our fellowship, our koinonia, is not based on worldly commonalities or polarities. Our fellowship is based on the common shared experience of life that we have in Christ. Here's a great quote for your consideration. The nature of the church entails a unity that transcends diversity. This unity is rooted in the sacrificial death of Christ and our common participation in this sacrifice. The church, as the body of Christ, is to live as a unified community in sacrificial love and fellowship. And I love that opening sentence. The nature of the church entails a unity that transcends diversity. That is what this koinonia fellowship is all about. You know, the second half of verse 3 says it really plainly, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to stop and notice how that sentence is worded. Our fellowship is with the Father and with Jesus. This fellowship of ours, the church, New Life Church, is not just a special interest group where the interest we have in common is Jesus. 
Our fellowship includes Jesus. And that makes the church unlike any other association of people in the world. This is a concept that's unpacked in other letters to other churches in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 10.16, we find that they're in the fellowship of the blood of Christ. 2 Corinthians 13.14 talks about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And Philippians 1.5 talks about their fellowship in the gospel of Christ. What John's doing in this letter is linking the themes of Jesus and community strongly together. In their context, in their impossible storm that they were weathering, John is teaching them that keeping a right understanding of who Jesus is central and that that should inform how they live together, how they have fellowship Now, I don't want us to get tripped up on that right understanding of Jesus' business. John's not advocating a bounded set thinking where we decide what's the right thinking of Jesus, what's the wrong thinking of Jesus, and then we use the wrong thinking to keep people out of our fellowship. We're not talking about the minutia of doctrine and theology here. John is telling this church... Keep Jesus the main thing. And here's why this is so important. In fact, here are two whys that this is so important. Why this fellowship centered around Jesus as the main thing is so critical. One of them is mine and the other is John's. Mine is this, and this is my heart for you for my new life family as we've lived through this long, difficult pandemic experience. And it's simply this. We need each other. We need each other to heal from our loneliness and our isolation. We need each other to buoy up our experience of worshiping our God. We need each other to cheer one another on in our faith journeys. We need each other as fellow image bearers of God to challenge us, to sharpen us, to keep us accountable, to encourage us, to reflect God's truth to us when there are things that we need as individuals to see. We need this fellowship There's another big reason that we need one another, and this is John's why. And this comes from a bit of understanding of John's outlook on things overall. Within the church, the quality of our life together, our fellowship, is the essential ingredient for fulfilling our mandate as God's people. Yes, the fellowship is for us, but it's also because God has something to accomplish through us. And that's where we get into all of this talk about light. Let's go back to verse 5 for a second. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light, 
and there is no darkness in him at all. And that takes us back to the video that we saw a little earlier today. All of those wonderful scripture verses about light. And these images of God as light pop up all throughout scripture. You know, when the Israelites built their tabernacle during the Exodus, God's presence was signaled with fire in its lampstands with light. In Matthew 4, Jesus is famously described as a great light to those lost in the darkness. And there are lots of passages that talk about God working with people in a way that brings light to eliminate darkness. Exodus chapter 13, God illuminates the night as a pillar of fire to lead the people. 2 Samuel 22, God is likened to a lamp that brings light to personal darkness. Ezra chapter 9, God is depicted as being a flicker of light remaining, a flicker of hope when the circumstances of his people seem bleak. Now let's take this idea of light back to the notion of God having something to accomplish through us, through our fellowship. Here's a pretty well-known passage of scripture from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. Uh, Jesus here, as he so often does, he speaks radically. We've moved from God as light to Jesus saying to us, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are the light of the world. God is light. In Jesus, God was made incarnate, present physically in the world. Jesus is light. Jesus lives within us when we choose to receive him. Therefore, we are light. We have the awesome privilege and the equally awesome responsibility to bear God's light in the world. We bear God's light in our homes. We bear it in our workplaces. We bear it in our community. Have a look at this picture. This is one lonely little light bulb bringing light into a dark room. Now, the power is clearly connected to it because it's turned on, and it's just shining away as bright as it's capable of shining. Why is the room so dark? The room is barely lit because it's one bulb trying to bear light in a great darkness. Now look at this picture. Look at all these bulbs and all of this light. How much darkness is left in the room now? You see where I'm going here? If each of us, as Jesus people, 
bear God's light into the world around us, how much of that light can we bear into the darkness when we do it together in our fellowship? Well, before we begin to try and tie all of this up, I want to zoom out and look at the larger picture in this passage of Scripture again. There's something really interesting going on here in the language of it as a whole. Verse 3, we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. So here's John. He's talking about you know, the sharing and the receiving of the gospel of Christ by which the church he was writing to found itself in fellowship. They're in fellowship because of the gospel. Verse 3 again, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. And we've covered that. The fellowship is not just a people who have believed and received Christ, but a fellowship that includes Christ himself. Verse 5, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And that tracks. We've covered that too. God is light. Verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. And here, it starts to get a little bit murky. How can we have received Christ, become bearers of God's light in the world around us, and end up walking in darkness? Here's verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I have to confess, I got stuck on verses 6 and 7 for quite a long time this week. But I think we can agree, fellowship is good. Bearing God's light in the world, also good. But what comes first? The fellowship or the light? It reads a little bit like the classic chicken and the egg paradox, doesn't it? But if we back up for a moment, I think we can untangle this a bit. Verse 3 again. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Who's taking the initiative in this verse? It's God. John is talking about accepting the good news of the gospel of Christ, which is what brings us into fellowship with God and God's family, the church. God has acted through Christ, and we respond to God's action. Verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Who's taking the initiative now? It's us. Yes, we respond to God's action in verse 3 when we receive Christ, but it's our ongoing response, our ongoing choice to walk in God's light and to have fellowship with one another. And I think you could still make a case for saying that it's a chicken and the egg scenario yet. What comes first, walking in the light or having fellowship with one another? And we could go around in circles on this all day. So I'm just going to tell you where I land on it. I think 
It's the fellowship that's the key. You know, earlier we talked about all of these reasons why we need our fellowship. And maybe in its simplest form, it boils down to this. If we're going to walk in the light and bear God's light into the world around us, it really needs to be a community activity. When we function well as a Jesus community in fellowship with him and with each other, we're far, far better equipped to bear God's light to those in darkness around us. Here are just a couple of final quotes for you to consider. Those who walk in the light have an ongoing sense of needing forgiveness and being forgiven. When purity is a gift, when the mercy and grace of God are foremost in our experience, spiritual elitism dies. When community is forged in the context of grace, generosity, and mercy, become commonplace. And I think we could phrase it this way. When the community is forged in the context of grace, walking in the light becomes commonplace. Being in fellowship means that the church, by nature, exists as a social community. The very existence of the church demonstrates to the world the truthfulness of the gospel of grace forgiveness, and reconciliation. And I want to phrase that quote for us this way. New life exists as a social community. The very existence of new life demonstrates to Collingwood, to Wasaga Beach, to Clearview, to the Blue Mountains, to our followers online, the truthfulness of the gospel of grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation. In choosing a fellowship together where Jesus is the main thing, we have the opportunity to bear an awful lot of God's light to places where there is an awful lot of darkness in the communities around us. So I want to challenge us a little bit as we wrap up. And in saying us, I very much include myself here. What's one way that we can each step further into our new life fellowship this week? Check out this list of opportunities to be in fellowship this summer. We're beginning to hold in-person services again next Sunday, July the 18th. We're going to be gathering around our campfire each Thursday night this summer, at least when it doesn't rain. That hasn't been going so well so far. (laughs) Kids and parents, there's an opportunity every Monday all summer to be together in the park. Fellowship. Students, there are great chances for you to be together both physically and online. And we have folks in our fellowship who can't physically be with us because of where they live or because of health concerns. Maybe we can deepen our fellowship with them by engaging online this week with a comment or a word of encouragement somewhere. 
I believe to the core of my being that we need this fellowship of ours to be strong as we head towards the post-pandemic reality. Because folks, there is a darkness of loneliness around us. There is a darkness of isolation. There is a darkness of disrupted life plans. There's a darkness of a whole lot of people just asking, where's the hope? And we have the light of Christ in our fellowship. And we have each other to cheer one another on as we deepen our fellowship with Christ and as he deepens our fellowship with one another. So that's my invitation. I say, come, be part of the fellowship. Then let's go and bear God's light together. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for the fellowship of my New Life family. And during the dark times that we've lived through in 2020 and 2021, I'm so thankful to have had this family, these friendships, these people around me to encourage, to hold me up in times when I felt like I needed that. God, thank you that so much of that has been happening in our New Life Fellowship these last 18, 19 months. And we hear stories of this week in and week out, the ways that people are living out this beautiful fellowship that we have. God, I pray as we're now in a season where we're beginning to feel like there is a light at the end of this tunnel and we're heading toward that post-pandemic reality, looking at what is new life in that reality, that you would encourage us to deepen the bonds of our fellowship to reach out to others. And God, we're going to give you praise for what you're going to do in us and for us as we do that. You do beautiful things in your community, for your community, for your children that gather around you. But God, as a new life fellowship, we also want to say to you, we know we know that there is darkness around us. This experience has left so much hurt and brokenness and loneliness. And we recognize that we bear your light. We are bearers of your light to the community around us. So God, strengthen us Draw us close together to you, to one another, for the work that's ahead. Because I believe you want to bring much light to Collingwood, to Wasaga Beach, to Clearview, to the Blue Mountains, to all of our friends online through this new life fellowship that we're so blessed with. We worship you today. We praise you. We say to you, we love you as your people. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks for being with us this morning, everybody. I can't believe I'm saying this, but this is our final online only Sunday service. Next week, we are back in person at New Life. We'll have some live worship through song. We're allowed to sing even, oh, it's with the masks on our faces. We'll pray together. And then we're going to enjoy all of us, whether we're here at New Life in person or at home online, the same video teaching. So I hope you're able to join us for one of those and some of the the in-person things that we're gathering around this summer as we look to deepen our love and fellowship together. Thanks for being with us. Have a great week.